Hey, good morning everybody, this is Stuart from Reanimated. I'm back with one more golden oldie out of the vault for you today, uh, as we're just about ready to get back to some original programming, but we need another minute, uh, so we'll be back. But in the meantime, I'm gonna leave you with this episode where we go over Dawn of the Dead from 1978. So enjoy. Shit's really hit the fan. Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of Reanimated, your podcast about Z-related events and theory. Um, this will be episode 14, if you can believe it, and I am sitting here in beautiful sunny Brooklyn and my counterpart, uh, Stuart Tiffin. Hello, Stuart. Yo, what's up? It's on the West Coast. Is it beautiful there too? There is a raven outside my window. Well, that's fitting. That's fitting. And finally, we'll be reviewing Dawn of the Dead, uh, George Romero's 1978 version. Um, and that is just about it. How are you today, Stuart? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for asking, H.A. I'm doing very well. You're you are pretty grumpy today. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just, you know, wait, wait. always thinking about zombies in the zombie apocalypse. When did you watch the movie? Last night before I went to bed. Ah, oh, that, that was a good choice. I, I had some palate cleansers afterwards, though. I watched, like, you know, some How I Met Your Mother and some stuff to just, like, you know, kind of lull me back into a false sense of everything is right with the world. <laughs> I actually forced my partner to watch the movie with me, and he was very unhappy about it. So, oh. um, my wife voluntarily sat there and watched it with me. And actually, I mean, she covered her eyes for some, you know, a lot of the, the worst, quote unquote, worst bits. But she mostly was uh, appalled by the makeup. Well, we'll get into that. But <laughs> yeah, we will. I'm just saying, like from the from someone who is absolutely not into this kind of genre, she was just like, "Oh, come on, those aren't even scary." Well, it's interesting because I remember watching this when I was a kid. Did you watch this as a kid, or is this the first time? Uh, no, this is the first. This is, was not the first time. Uh, the first time I saw this movie was recently. Okay, but this was not the first time. Um, I remember watching this. Probably, I want to say I was maybe twelve or thirteen, and I remember being horrified by it. And not, you know, I thought parts of it were funny too, but it was a lot scarier then. So I had no issue watching it last night at all. But my my partner was like, "What did you make me watch? This is dark." <laughs> so, you know, it was all in good fun. It actually. It's more fun when somebody doesn't want to watch it in some ways. <laughs> so anyway, without further ado, because um, we can talk about, we're, we're, I think we're going to have a long conversation about this particular film. Do you agree? I think we will. Yeah, let's try not to break the three-hour mark. We, 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 we won't go all 28 days later on people, but I think that there's a lot to discuss here. Um, yeah. Let's go. Let's go to Philadelphia, 1978. Yes, 1978. So, without further ado, we're going to be reviewing Dawn of the Dead, George Romero's masterpiece of 1978 horror. Um, I think we're going to go through this sort of chronologically and just bring in some some themes as we go along the way. But I will say, at the very beginning, if you've never seen this film, it, this will be full of spoilers. So, do not listen to this section of the episode if you're if you're if you want to be surprised. <laughs> at the beginning of the film everything's already in chaos. It, it pretty much jumps right into it. There's not yeah. really a lot of lead up. Basically, we are in crisis mode. 
the undead are coming back to life, people are arguing about it, um, and we're introduced to our main characters pretty quickly. Uh, Francine, who works at a news station, and her, I guess her fiancé, I don't even know what he is, um, her lover, Stephen, who is a helicopter pilot, and they're trying to figure out what to do and whether to abandon their posts or their professional lives and, and basically run for the hills. I think it's it's important to note that that Fran is still trying to be professional at this point. It, it, like for the first few minutes of the film, she hasn't given up. She's like basically in charge, or she's a producer on this on this news station, uh, this news program, where <laughs> what their their news is is basically a scientist and uh, an anchor yelling at each other, and then in turn yelling at all the the crew and the photographers and the, the news photographers uh, on the set because. The, the the scientist is is talking about the zombie apocalypse with a very knowledgeable, you know, he's he's spitting out facts like you have to put them down. They're going to get up and kill people. Their only goal and, is to eat. Yeah, and and weirdly, the cast, the the crew, I should say, are are like, no, I don't want to. I'm like waving their hands, like I don't want to be here. You're you're talking nonsense, and um, it it's like uh, it's kind of a. This is part of the. Uh, the breakdown where people, nobody really seems to know what to believe and what to think or what to do. And, but Fran sees a list of it's rescue station information is out of date. So they're sending people to rescue stations that have been overrun or they're no longer safe. And she's like, take that down. And so they, they stop scrolling it at the bottom of the screen. And then one of another guy shows up and starts saying like, as long as we have that scrolling, we're going to have millions of people watching this station which, of course, you're just like, that is a ridiculous thing to say because who the fuck cares about ratings uh, during the middle of a, an insane zombie apocalypse? Right. And obviously Francine is ethical here and she doesn't want to do it. And I think that that, in part, colors her decision when she decides to finally leave because they're basically like, yeah, what more can you do here? Get the hell out. I also think I have to mention the acting within this chaos scene is, is pretty hilarious. <laughs> Uh, yeah, their extras are always a little bit kind of insane. It was a lot of running around and and waving your hands, throwing papers up in the air. Yes, just to show just to show the chaos because that that's what chaos is. But I think you know we we see Francine as a professional, um, being very uh, sure of herself and like you know making making moral decisions and sticking up for herself here. She does, which is interesting. What happens with her character right almost right after this, which I'm a little bit. Uh, it bothers me, I admit, because I was actually at the beginning of this really excited to see the main female character showing this much control and uh, authority, basically, and not just hiding in a corner. But then so Steven shows up in his like flight jacket and, and is like, we got to get out of here. And she doesn't she's not really on board with that right away. No, because she still wants to do her duty and then is convinced by comments from other people like, look, this station's going to close down. You might as well save yourself. And so they take off in Steven's helicopter. Well, before we get there, I mean, they I think they just agree to leave. And then we cut to this raid on the projects right. before they get to the helicopter. And it's um, this is a really confusing and bizarre scene that I guess it does definitely introduce the racism thing that we were talking about earlier, because Wooly, this crazy policeman, is just dropping N-words and, and, you know, being a crazy person and puerto rican 
comment. He calls everybody. He hates. He hates everybody. Yeah, he hates everybody, but specifically Puerto Ricans and and uh, African Americans. But I think part of it, it and part of it is a little bit confusing. But they introduce the fact that martial law is in place at the news station. That's what one of the experts keeps saying is that no civilians are allowed to stay in their homes. That it's all being taken over by martial law. And I don't think that that's entirely clear when they cut to the scene, but that was my, that was my impression is that they were then trying to show the martial law. Um, I couldn't, yeah, I could, cause they were like talking on a megaphone to some guy called Martinez. I think like, it's not going to work for you, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then like all these dudes with guns come out of the project, the, the, the apartment building and they have a shootout. Right. It's so confusing. It's so confusing why they're even fighting each other. It is. You know? um, and I mean, my guess is that these people didn't like the martial law in place. They didn't want to leave their homes. So they were holed up there. And I don't know why, if in this situation, the the SWAT team would come in to, to get rid of them, because don't you have bigger things to worry about? But I guess we find out why they're there a little later on which is that this particular complex has been holding zombies or is overrun by zombies. It seems like they've been keeping their zombie undead in the basement. Yeah. And there's, there's some of them in the different apartment, uh, the different individual apartments too. Right. Um, but so Wooly starts kicking open doors and shooting humans um, who unarmed people and they have to take him down, which is where we basically meet our two police uh, hero characters Roger little blonde guy tiny. and Peter yeah tiny blonde guy Roger could be Peter. a jockey like he's so small um yeah and then Peter our our would be hero yes and uh, another George Romero African American I guess you could call him a, not necessarily a leading man because this is more of an ensemble cast than Night of the Living Dead even though that had a big a big cast it's there's no one person I think in this in this film who who takes over you know overall command. Eventually, I think he does just by process of elimination. But I agree with you; it's mostly an ensemble cast for the the, the majority of the film. And you know, these two these two didn't know each other before they meet in the basement of the zombie building, and then they somehow bond. And I suspect that they bond because they both have. A terrifying run-in with the one-legged priest. <laughs> Who I? Well, they were talking. I, <laughs> they were talking about running away already. Like, and strangely, yeah, they. You're right. They, they didn't know each other, and yet then they're like, "We should go together." And it's. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make so much sense, which is why I'm just throwing in my my thoughts on the priest because that that. You it, think it was all the priest's fault? It was the priest's fault. He basically, I think, by being traumatized by that confrontation, they they both were like, "We got to stick together." But I. I don't think it totally makes sense that they completely trust each other at that point. Because at first they're shoot, they're pointing guns at each other. Because Rogers, Peter is like, "You were in Wooly's unit," and we didn't mention Peter shoots and kills Wooly. Right. Did we say that? No, we didn't. But yeah, but yeah. Wooly Wooly gets shot by Peter, and Peter uh, also attacked him extensively because he couldn't believe he was shooting unarmed people. So well, Roger, Ro- that was sorry, little, little Roger. They have very, very similar name. I've, Peter and Roger. It's going to uh, be difficult. Sorry, but... Ro- Rod- so, yeah, Roger gets his ass kicked by Willie, basically, and then Peter and, kills him. And then Peter kills him. But Peter had to have seen Roger attacking him. How can you miss that small, delicate man on the back of the racist? <laughs> Not unlike a jockey on a racehorse. <laughs> <laughs> but so they they get over their their differences pretty quickly and start smoking together and talking about. 
lots of people are running away. We could run away too. And then crazy one-legged priest comes out of the cellar. Yep. And basically says, we got to stop killing people and we got to stick together. And maybe that's why. But in any case, they kill off the zombie. I don't know what you would call this. Cold storage unit? The the basement unit? There's a bunch of zombies kind of semi-tied up in the basement. You know, we're supposed to, I, I think we're just supposed to be like shocked by the scene that's happening here. And all the soldiers are like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And Peter's crying. Yes, and it's quite emotional. Um, it's, it's also just from a, viewing this as an adult, um, as I mentioned before, I, I saw this first when I was 12 or 13 and remembered being and I was a little bit, you know, anticipating being terrified by it. And, you know, and I know at the time this was sort of, I don't want to call it revolutionary, but it was newer, but the, all the special effects and the, the zombie makeup and the biting of flesh in this film was new. And it was amazing at the time, but watching it now, it's so cheesy. It's just gray makeup. It's it's gray or purple makeup. Um, it's biting into. I don't even know what these things are. It's it's terrible looking blood packs that don't even look like blood. It looks more like red paint. Um, yeah. And you know what? I, I love Tom Savini, who is the makeup artist and does a lot of the special effects. And he's very famous for this particular film and other films in the Romero uh, canon. But um, it's so ridiculous that you kind of laugh out loud a little bit. So I didn't find the scene as horrific as I'm sure other people did when they were first seeing this film. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, the uh, the makeup is 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 bad. The even the, the and the soundtrack is also like kind of at, at times it's very it's perfect. Like at the there's one song called Gonk that is played over and over and again in this in this mu- movie. And it, it's very lighthearted. And it's also a lot of the 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 soundtrack from this movie is parodied in many other movies. Um, so it's, if you hear it and you're like, ah, oh, that sounds familiar. It's probably because you've seen it in Dawn of, uh, Shaun of the dead and, and many other things since this movie came out. But, um, do you remember our, our conversation from night of the living dead about the, the music in that, in that? Cause there was a lot of like crazy synthesizer stuff going on. Yes. And there's still a lot of that going on here, but I feel like it's been refined uh, especially like they play on the sounds of the helicopter engines, uh, rotors sometimes with the weird synth stuff. And then other times it's just like to bug you out. It's sometimes, uh, I know it sounds terrible, but I feel like George Romero's idea of dissonance and, and everything has to do with synth- synthesizers. Synthesizers means it's the end of the world. And it kind of makes me imagine the the gentleman from Spinal Tap doing the soundtrack for this movie. I don't know. It's just so, sometimes um, it just gets so ridiculous that you're like, really? <laughs> but it, you're right. It does fit in in some places. But overall, I think the soundtrack could could be vastly improved. Um, yeah. to, to finish off this scene, uh, this set piece of the raid on the projects, we also are, are privy to a lot of scenes of, of cops and National Guardsmen being really dumb and like getting like knocking down a barricade and then getting mobbed by zombies uh, or going into a room filled with zombies, putting down the M16 that you probably know is loaded and picking up Willie's shotgun. Willie was dual wielding for some reason, a shotgun and a pistol. And, uh, and this young guy has an M16, goes into the room, puts down his M16 when he sees a zombie coming at him and instead tries to use Willie's shotgun, which is out of bullets. Well, right. And also something overall, and this is, 
just generally an observation I made about this movie. There is an awful lot of slow response and dumb decision-making, which will eventually allow the very slow-moving zombies in this film to get to you. These are not very fast zombies. These are, no. these are kind of tottering, slow, ambling zombies. And I don't know if it was just a limitation of the filmmaking or if it was to make it slightly more dramatic. But yes, that particular instance where he puts down his weapon that he's used to and that he knows is loaded and then gets taken out eventually is like, really, dude? So after he tries to shoot the shotgun like four times, then he goes to his sidearm and eventually shoots the guy, the zombie. But he's apparently already been bitten, so he shoots himself in the head. And it's just like, that was pathetic. Totally pathetic. And there's so many instances of this happening and the, just basically everything's going to hell in a handbasket. So I can understand why Peter and Roger decide to, to get the hell out. They're like, our, our compadres are horrible. It's time to go. Right. And so, yeah, uh, Roger knows Stephen. And Stephen has invited him along with him and his girlfriend. Because <laughs> that's what you do <laughs> when you're panicked. You know what? This buddy of mine, let's take him along. And I his mean, friend. He's like, yeah, honestly, of people to take with you, uh, Roger probably seems like a pretty good contender. He's, you know, he, he knows his way around weapons. Uh, he just turns into less of a good contender as the film goes on. Right. Because he gets a bad, he gets a bad case of the yeehaws. Right. But, uh, but overall, we'll get there. But overall, I mean, I guess if you think about it logically and you are as terrible a shot as Steven apparently Steven is. Steven needs all the help he can get. Um, his decision making is bizarre. Um, but anyway, Roger and and um, Roger and Peter probably are a good choice because they know how to handle weapons. They they know tactical solutions to things. And, you know. They, ha- they have neat little uh, code words for maneuvers that they make in the mall. <laughs> they do. And they get really excited about interesting things the old the old hit and run which apparently was like a novel concept Uh. Um, okay but so they all meet at the helipad eventually Uh, peter turns out doesn't know anybody and he's just like apparently he's he's okay with just flying off with a bunch of strangers Um, but this is a point when they are meeting on the helipad that is very interesting because one of the the people in the unit comes up to them and all he wants are cigarettes and they all basically say no we don't have cigarettes and he keeps going off looking for them doesn't see anything weird about the fact that these guys are escaping in the helicopter or maybe he's just in shock i don't know and then the minute he was escaping too what the little guy that's just running around yeah he's going down river or something Uh, he was talking about trying to get to the islands and they're like which island he's like any island well right but he doesn't really have a plan in place he's just generally talking about it and they're about to just get out of dodge and then the minute they take off they're all lighting up their cigarettes they lied to this poor sack they were like we don't have cigarettes we're gonna keep our cigarettes for ourselves well considering that it's the end of society they're actually being very polite with each other like the boat people and the helicopter people are just like oh yeah do you have cigarettes no i don't have cigarettes and roger's like watch out when you go downstream there's something blah 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 and they're like oh thanks buddy they're all like you know being very uh, they're assisting each other it's just not in the cigarette department i guess not but still i think it's a pretty good idea to fly above everything in the helicopter good escape plan you don't have to deal with zombies in the air hopefully yeah, but this, you know, and this is also a way to introduce the fact that this, this zombie infestation is everywhere. So as they're flying around, they basically are seeing evidence of martial law and zombies everywhere they fly. Before we even get to the redneck scene, though, there's the, uh, 
Stephen falling asleep while flying I the helicopter. I was actually going to say that because it's such a bizarre piece. And it's, I guess it's to show how exhausted they are because they've been flying all night. Stephen's a weird character, man. and He's just terrible at everything, he, you know? He's strange and I don't like... I don't like how the aviator glasses look on him. His uniform seems like a stripper cop uniform or something. Like, it's just so weird. And then, you know, they hand him water, which he pours all over himself in the cockpit. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, two, like five minutes later, Fran is like, we don't have any food or water or, or a radio. And I'm like, why the hell did you let Steven pour it all over his face just because he was sleepy? Right. It's like, what are you thinking? So this, of course, forces them, well, I, I, before they land, we see the what is going on in Redneck Land. Which is a, a direct reference, I assume, to the final scenes of Night of the Living Dead, yeah? Right, um, which is basically these hunting parties of rednecks. They're having fun. They're playing music. They're drinking beer. There's a lot of, they're, yeah, they're all drinking beer. And even the, 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 guard, the National Guards people out there are like all... It's kind of very Vietnam uh, newsreel-esque where they're just like posing next to things and having a party as opposed to – and then every so often they do some really bad shooting and some bad acting. Right. So that's how, that's how the rednecks are handling things. But it does look like they're winning from you know our perspective flying overhead. They're just like, yeah, there's a couple over there. Right. They, and they're just taking their time taking out uh, individual zombies. So it's sort it of – yeah, so it's interesting that they're not – I mean, I guess maybe they don't want to deal with the rednecks, but I don't know. I agree with you. It seems like they're winning, so it seems like they should be landing in a place where the people are winning. But that's not what they decide to do. <laughs> well, obviously, I mean, we're we're kind of, as an audience, Roger or somebody is like, those rednecks are enjoying themselves. And, you know, all the scenes of people drinking, I, I would assume, given like horror movie canon, means we should not trust those people because people who get drunk or high die in horror films right right? generally yes but we don't see that happening here we don't and i didn't you know we didn't i should mention that we did not view the director's cut so maybe there were additional scenes that we didn't see but at least in this version it doesn't really show any closure on the the rednecks getting their due their their due here so um so uh our our merry band of four end up at a airplane it's a small airstrip uh, for refueling and they do uh, what's called a uh, hot gas or hot refueling where the engines are still running and at first I mean I've gone back and forth on this like it's it's a fast way to refuel an aircraft because you're you know you're ready to go basically uh, it's also very loud right which is what and I was star- so yeah. bothered by it, it's loud and also you're not able to hear so you know it's attracting things to you probably Exactly. But, but I mean, so is landing a helicopter. Yeah, you know? it's going to be loud no matter what. But I guess my thing is, is that if you turned off the engines, you could hear the things coming toward you. Um, yeah. So it, what it, what doesn't make any sense here is that like they land to refuel and then split up to the four winds. So Rod, Roger's refueling the helicopter and everybody else, well, Fran and Steven go off together and Peter goes off and they, they accomplish nothing no. separately. And I don't even know what they're trying to accomplish when they separate. I mean, it's, it's are Fran and, and Steven going to knock boots. It's just not clear what they're doing. I mean, and Peter just seems to want a crappy cup of coffee. I don't, I don't really know what his intentions are, but basically, of course, the inevitable happens here, which is that Fran and, and 
Steven get attacked. And in this case, I get kind of annoyed because Fran pulls a Barbara. She's useless. She's just like kind of hanging out while Steven gets attacked by a zombie, which can apparently be yeah. which can apparently be um, thrown off just by wrestling moves. It was there was a lot of zombie wrestling, and then the tiny hammer attack. Uh, <laughs> I know, and she's just standing there, and it's like okay, fine. I know Steven's annoying. He threw all the water on himself. Maybe you don't want to help him, but just run away at least. And then she doesn't, and then they try to go after her again. I just, oh, it's so frustrating. And I'm just like, oh, great. Another shocked woman, useless, unable to defend herself. And it, it's, it was, I was a little bit worried about where it was going to go because I didn't remember everything that followed. But so basically, she's useless in the scene. And then Peter just, I don't know, he wants a crappy cup of coffee from one of those machines, which I don't know that I've seen those machines every, anywhere lately. This is definitely something, maybe in Japan they have the, the bottles of warm stuff, but nothing like this where the little cup ends up and the crappiest cup of coffee is procured. But um, uh, yeah, I've seen those fairly recently. Really? Uh, in Germany, anyway. Uh, maybe not in America as much anymore, though, right? Yeah. But it's all been replaced by those K-cups. But anyway, my uh, you know how I hate zombie kids. And and he, I don't know what what is this like? Why are there zombie kids there? It's so unclear. Because you know children hang out at small airstrips in rural America. That's obviously. Yeah. Well, he takes them out thankfully, but man, I got a little bit upset because I just the zombie kids thing. I was like, really, have to have the zombie kids. And it's even though um, this is like a terribly you know the effects are terrible, it still upsets me. The zombie kids upset me tremendously. So. And but then we have our first uh, Stephen. Stephen tries to help. Stephen. Stephen and his his willingness to help is like the worst thing about this. Stephen should never help, and he almost takes Peter's head off, and he's the most terrible shot ever. Um, but we also learn that Roger, and we see this quite a bit. Roger just like steps in and is a crack shot, and is kind of like Stephen, don't help. I'll take care of this, and Peter is quite annoyed at. Uh, Steven's helping and is just like, why are you aiming a gun in my head? But, you know, I, it's it's one of these moments where, where it's like, oh no, did we choose our companions wisely kind of moment. Um, and then they seem to get over that relatively quickly and hop in the chopper again, again, looking for safe haven. And, yeah. you know, I, I think it's, and you see them kind of flying through the night and they're running out of fuel again. And it's this is actually one of the funniest parts in the movie where they're flying over the shopping mall. And I don't know who says it, but they're like, what's that? And there's like, oh, my gosh, it's one of those indoor shopping malls. And was this that new at this time? That I have no idea when the shopping mall was became a thing. But this is to be fair. This is a pretty comprehensive shopping mall. I guess so. But it just the shock in their voices. Oh, one of those newfangled indoor shopping malls where people walk around and shop. Um, And maybe it was newer and maybe it was this sort of established thing. But I just thought that was a pretty registered as being a very funny moment, like that they wouldn't know what this was. But perhaps that was the case. They basically decide to to check out the shopping mall because it happens to have a helipad on the roof as as shopping malls do. Yeah, and then also stored in a, a a top floor room is a very convenient supply of emergency uh, 
food and water. Which, I mean, they don't, they never actually explain this, but my guess is that these were put there by the government when they took over martial law. But it doesn't make sense because wouldn't you think that people in the government and the military would have been there if they had supplied this so well? I think we're just not supposed to even think about this one. It's just like, oh, look, there's MREs and, and water. and <laughs> They didn't have either. And so well, let's stop here. All right. But then, you know, it, what's really funny to me is that so they're on the roof and kind of taking a lay of the land and they get all nervous like, oh, no, there's zombies. And, and Roger is like, they can't get us up here. And it's like, yeah, because you're like totally above ground. Of course they can't get to you. It just seemed kind of obvious to me. But and then, you know, they're they're kind of holed up. They're upset about the Francinas and uh Roger and Peter are suddenly really giddy about the things that they can get in the mall. And this is where we start to see them act as like this weird team. It's also just, yeah, they're like, they're, like they've known each other forever and they're like children. Right. But it, it really, I totally got that sense that they were lifelong buddies and let's go on this adventure like we did when we were kids. And meanwhile, they only met like the day before. And yeah. So it's kind of weird, but so this is where uh, Peter turns to Roger and he's like, well, "Do you want to do the the old hit and run?" Right, as if this is something you know, established. Like, it's really strange, and yeah, they have zero plan. I mean, uh, and actually, like, what's weird is like, leaving this supply room and going downstairs, and then going to the generator room, and then going through some other hallways, and then finally they're in the mall. It's actually a really long way, it seems. Right. And I do like how they explain why the power is all on in the mall. And then they proceed to turn on everything because they might need it. Well, they turn, yeah, for um, noise camouflage, basically. Yeah, but still. But then it turns out this mall has like a really bizarre array of like moving statuary and stuff. Right. Um, like mannequins that's he- the, whose heads rotate. They have some odd things in this mall. Um, it's not like a mall that I ever saw growing up but maybe in Monroeville Pennsylvania this is how they do things um and yeah so and then they explain the power being on by saying it must be uh, it must be nuclear so that's all you hear about that that's the only explanation they give which is kind of funny Um, and nuclear power plants are apparently completely autonomous right no they never nothing would ever happen to them in the middle of this kind of a crisis um but anyway they they do their thing they go and they you know outrun zombies and take some of them out and figure out what they're how they're going to lock themselves into this store to get more supplies um and they seem to think they have found the cornucopia the mecca of zombie survival yeah they have zero plan they just run around until yeah it's very annoying and then they get into the mall or the department store rather and just sprint everywhere and they're like we got to get those things we really need a tv and a radio right which i get it you know they, they didn't have a freaking radio in a helicopter what helicopter doesn't have a radio i know i don't know so they they get all their stuff together and then more's the pity steven wakes up from his nap oh it was such a disaster when steven wakes up because you know he's gonna have to get involved and help so peter had left Fran with a rifle and instructions to kill anything that came up the stairs that wasn't them. And she was, you know, doing her job, watching the stairs, not very happy about it. But I think she actually went and woke up Stephen when they turned on the, the mall music, which wasn't smart. But what was she to know? And then Stephen takes her gun 
which is the last gun available upstairs and goes downstairs. And she's like, you shouldn't do this. But he's like, I don't care. I'm going to help. Right. And we also know he's a terrible shot. Although I will argue here, Fran has not really shown that she's very good at defending against zombies either. But we also, we know definitely that Steven is not going to help. Whatever's going to happen is not going to be helpful. And this is, this is absolutely true. Because <sighs> Peter and Roger left him behind on purpose. It, that was, there was an option to take him with them and they were like no this is the we're gonna go alone <laughs> and this is the guy that aims at our heads and is not good in a combat situation so let's let's leave him where he belongs and let him let him sleep put in his shoes in steven's shoes i i would definitely not have gone downstairs at this point and especially with the last gun you don't take the last you don't leave the woman in you know without anything or anybody what man or woman you don't leave one person by themselves in a room that, that doesn't lock you know, well, you also you also don't go off by yourselves and you, you know that yeah. there are two dudes with guns down there and that they're worried about zombies. So wouldn't you be concerned that you might be the target accidentally? Absolutely. Totally. So, yeah, Stephen just makes bad decisions all over the place. But I think what we're supposed to also see is he goes into the, the power station room of the mall and finds the uh, the office where Peter and Roger had found like all the keys, the giant keychain key ring. And. Stephen, however, is drawn to this like book of diagrams uh, of like um, blueprints and and something that maps out the, uh, the HVAC and the the tunnels through the drop ceiling. So we're supposed to think, you know, he's very detail oriented. So not only can he fly a helicopter, but he's in, into the details. And then he has a ridiculously drawn out shootout with one zombie, where it takes him seven bullets to kill it. Wasting ammunition. Shooting at shadows. I have to admit, I was kind of hoping that he would get eaten here, and it just didn't happen. That would have solved a lot of problems. It would have. Although, Roger still probably would have gone the way he goes. But uh, eventually, the uh, Peter and, and Peter and Roger hear all the shooting going on in the electrical room and say something weird like, let's get him on our side. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. I don't, Actually, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand that either. Uh, maybe they mean we have to take him in hand because he's obviously, he's just... Inept. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that's more what they're saying. I That was my, but I agree. It's a little bit cryptic. So they, they all get together. The three of them finally reunite inside the department store and they're having a good old time. They're laughing and giggling. And this is another one of the times they use a weird phrase like the old okie doke or it was, it might've been rope-a-dope. Yeah. I don't... Where they um, bang on one floor on the window to get the zombies to come downstairs so that the upstairs is less zombie infested but at the same time as they're like oh steven you're okay you're not a bad guy you're one of us now we're looking at fran and she's just like waiting upstairs and the harry krishna is coming yes which is like the harry krishna zombie is like my favorite zombie out of this entire movie there, My wife said he kind of looks like Buster Bluth. He does, um, but he's <laughs> just like, and he's actually a pretty famous zombie. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there is actually a Hare Krishna zombie action figure that is quite popular. But that's good. Yeah, her battle with the zombie, the Hare Krishna zombie, was just so comical, but and made funnier by the fact that it's a Hare Krishna zombie. I guess that is supposed to basically be like, this is the Diet Coke of zombies coming upstairs to kill you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Because he's got a tambourine, like you can tell where he is because he keeps <laughs> and you, jingling. And you keep hearing it jingling throughout this scene. And it's just, I actually was imagining them filming the scene and just, I, I bet it was pretty hard to keep a straight face. But, okay, so 
she she is very close to being killed. She's zombie bait here. She's like trying to get up the ladder to get up on the roof again. She's super slow getting up the damn ladder, though. It's like Jesus. Well, she's trying to use road flares on the zombie, and this is where we see that zombies are still afraid of fire. Right. Which is a Romero. It's eh, canon for him. Yep. But she can't keep it lit for some reason, and. That's that's all she's got, and then she tries to get up the ladder, and it's got her, and it's about it's basically about to eat her or bite her when our three dudes come back, take the zombie down quietly, which was a nice touch. They don't shoot it because they're like that will attract the others. Right. So that's pretty smart, and uh, and beat it up, beat it up to death. Yet it's still making some noise because that tambourine just keeps raining. <laughs> <laughs> it's a jingly, jingly dead zombie corpse. And then Steven says some really stupid shit to Fran. Yeah. He's like, oh, Fran, you're going to love it here. We've got so much great stuff. Yeah. And Fran's just like, I was just almost eaten because you left me alone without a weapon and I hate you forever. Yeah. At least that's what I would be thinking if I was Fran. She, she's thinking it with her eyes. And, and then uh, this is where we also have a conversation about Fran's uh, delicate state. So we find out, although, you know, Fran is not really present. She's gone to basically go and, and and be quiet in a dark room and smoke her cigarettes like a chimney. There's a lot of smoking in this movie. And we find out while she is chain smoking here through an overheard conversation between Stephen and Peter and Roger that Fran is expecting because Peter's noticed that Fran seems a bit under the weather, sick, like, you know, physically sick. And he's like, well, she's three to four months pregnant. Yeah. Poor Fran, impregnated by Stephen. Poor Fran. And then Peter... Peter's like, so, do you want to keep the baby? I know how to perform I, I, <laughs> DIY abortion. It's super dark. Why the hell does Peter know how to do abortion? And they don't explain this. They just sort of leave that there hanging as like an offer. Like, hey, man, I offered. And it's just like weird. It's That's the strangest thing I've ever heard in a movie. Plus, it's just, is this just like to solidify that Peter is the guy who can do everything? Right. I don't know. And then And then they say, well, it doesn't matter. We'll just we'll figure it out. As we cross that bridge, right? And then they just move on from that. And yet we flip to Fran still chain smoking. Fran does not move on from that conversation because she's like, um, yeah, because the next day she has a bit of a like a, a moment where she's like, look, I'm not going to be your den mother to the three of them. And I want to know what your plans are. She also wants to learn how to defend herself. So this is a huge departure from Barbara in Night of the Living Dead, who just kind of is useless and shocked the whole time. Getting slapped a lot. Getting slapped out of her, shocked. Um, which, so I was happy to see Fran, Fran turn the corner here. So she actually wants to be a working member of the team and the survival team. And it's like, about time, Fran. And I think Steven is like a little bit morose to hear her say these things. And then when she says, I want to also learn how to fly the helicopter, he goes into straight up sullen mode. He totally does. But you know what? That is a super good idea because given what's going on, everybody should learn how to fly it, which is what they say. It's a waste of fuel, I suppose. But you know what? I think part of why he's morose is that she's suggesting that he's probably going to be eaten. So they should know this skill. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's one of the only things that actually makes him useful to the group right now. Right, and he knows it, so I don't know. It, it was his kind of. She doesn't say it totally, you know. She's just saying everybody should know just in case. But I think it's implied that Stephen's the weakest link in the group, at least in her mind. And I think in everybody's mind at this point. Yeah, yeah, you know, and then they go into survival mode, basically figuring out how to make this whole situation work. One of the things that, that happened in this scene where Fran is standing up for herself, not only does Steven get sullen and be like, whatever, 
And she's like, be careful. And he's like, shut up. Uh, she's also like, hey, guys, tell me what you're planning. I want to know about the plans. I want to be part of the group. Because and- stop just making treating me like I'm a child or like something, a delicate flower that needs to be protected because it's my survival too. And so she delivers this. It's very respectable. And then Peter is like, well, you're not coming with us and we're going out. And that's that's the plan. Yeah, but, but part of why he doesn't want her to go with them, at least at this point is because she can't she doesn't know how to shoot, she doesn't know how to defend anything. So basically he's like just don't be another Steven, right? May I say something? Sure. Sorry you found out I'm pregnant because I don't want to be treated any differently than you treat each other. Oh hey, Frank, come on. And I'm not going to be dead mother for you guys. And I want to know what's going on and I want to have something to say about the plans. There's four of us, okay? Jesus, Fran. Fair enough. Now, what's going on? We're going out, and you're not coming with us. And you won't come with us until you learn how to handle yourself. He doesn't even tell her what they're about to go do. Right. Well, I don't even know if he knows exactly what they're about to go do. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's a very weird... I mean, it's actually smart what they go to do, but it's like, why can't he just tell her? Like, they must have gone up to the roof knowing what they were going to... what they were about to go do, right? Right. And what they do, what they actually go do is... um, they take the helicopter to a nearby truck yard. All and owned by BP. A lot of BP advertising here. I, I missed all of that. I didn't realize it was BP. But um, but it's like um, all BP trucks all waiting to be taken. Um, although this is at the point where Roger starts becoming a tiny cowboy. It's so bizarre. Like he, okay, he's been getting more. In the projects, he was like very steady like he was uh, telling the rookie like don't worry man it's gonna be okay and he was the one telling Wooly, settle down you know and now he's like he's got a really bad case of the yeehaws and he can't stop yeehawing and being a, a crazy person Right, like he's he's very risky. He's just kind of like going all out there and punching zombies left and right, taking a lot of risks, not just, you know, his own risks, but risking Peter. And it's it's weird. So basically, I mean, the plan is, is that both he and Peter are taking these trucks and they're taking these trucks to block off the various entry points to the mall. So basically, the hordes can't build up critical mass is what I'm guessing. Yeah, that's kind of what that's kind of how Peter explains it later on, but not for a while. We don't know exactly what they're doing for a while, but you know, they they do a few different runs of this because it takes a lot of trucks. Um, and I think there's three total, three three total entrances that they have to block. Right, but I mean, but basically throughout this process, Roger just gets more and more just stupid. Yeah, and and to the point where. Peter's yelling at him a lot, but mostly from the cab of his own truck in not a very useful way. Yeah. Settle down. Keep focused. We've got to do this job. And then, but it gets worse and worse until the second run where they, they basically, they go back out after they drop off one truck in front of the door is where this all kind of breaks down for me because Stephen is no longer useful. Stephen should go and land the goddamn helicopter. He doesn't have a radio. He cannot talk to them. He's, he's, wa- doing he's is, wasting fuel. And he's wasting fuel, and he's masking the audio of approaching zombies. Right. Even if, even if Roger wasn't constantly going yee-haw, uh, which would probably mask their approach also, 
the the helicopter hovering right overhead is probably not helping either. Right, and and also Rogers just yeah, I agree. Stephen just should never help. You know, Roger. You know, aside from his his cowboy antics with the zombies, he just does some stupid stuff. I mean, why would you leave a door open and put your back to that door? Because you know that there's zombies in that yard. It's not like they haven't been seeing them. Yeah, exactly. And leaving yourself open for attack while you're trying to fix things under a truck. Like, I can't think of a more vulnerable position. And it's almost, I mean, and and maybe this argument can be made. It's almost like he's daring them to eat him. Or maybe he's just, like, lost his shit. Because how long can you live inside a pressure cooker before you just, you know, go completely insane? And so maybe that's what we're supposed to believe is that his way of compensating for being scared all the time is that he's gone, like, crazy. Yeah, round the bend. But anyway, even though he's being stupid, they continue to have their their plan. And so we have the the whole open door scenario where he almost gets eaten by zombies and is rescued finally by Peter. And Peter's just like, stop being so stupid. And then, you know, they do their their run. And once again, Roger is stupid. Yeah, totally forgets his bag of tools. He's like, oh, God, I forgot it. And Peter has to give him a really stern talking to like, hey, wake up. He's like, you're right. I'm sorry. But then but then he he still manages to get himself bitten several times. But I guess my thing is, was it because they had to do another run that the tools were so invaluable? Was that because he had to jumpstart another set of trucks? Is that what it was? They don't have to jumpstart a truck. Because that's what I don't understand here is because like what you have so many tools in the mall. Why would the leaving your bag be such an issue? It could be that they were going to go back for a fourth truck, but they uh, th- to block the entrance that uh, the motorcycles eventually come through. Because mm. that does not have a truck in front of it. Um, it could be that that was the original plan, but after he gets bit, they're like, all right, no, we're calling it off. Three out of four ain't bad or yeah. something. Well, anyway, he gets bitten. He is just, you know, and they all know what it means. They're not They're like, yeah, that's it. That's it, man. And he's like, you can't afford to lose me yet. We have too much more to do, which I thought was very interesting. It was interesting, although Peter's sort of implying that they should lose the leg because he kind of says that. So he's kind of like, and I'm I'm sort of like, yeah, and the arm too, dude. Yeah, and the whole head. Right. After their, their duty, they go back in and start to deal with these wounds, which, you know, everybody knows what this means. Maybe not yeah. Stephen, because he's not so bright. But Stephen and Peter, uh, Stephen, yeah, and Peter now go to this gun store in the mall, which uh, I can't believe that wasn't their first stop in a way. But you know, you got to have your your TV. Um, and uh, it's a weird ass gun store, African uh, tribal music, and a lot of well, it's a hunting store, so there's a lot of uh, animal heads on the wall, which I guess is pretty pretty normal for that kind of stuff but the african music is so strange and you know this is the point where steven and peter sort of bond a little bit because they're so excited to be in the gun store and i guess if you were trying to to keep away the horde of zombies and you came across the store you'd be super psyched so maybe that would be cause for celebration and bonding but peter again has to warn steven don't try to shoot them through the grates it's too narrow because steven's going to because steven just always makes the wrong decision he's such an idiot um and at least this time he listens to Peter, but it's not always the case. Uh, and there's a weird like montage of them putting on Western style, like really old school cult revolvers in holst, you know, like in like they're going to the old West. Yeah, it's a it's an odd little montage scene. And then we cut to all four of them having bandoliers of bullets around each shoulder, 
Roger is now in a tiny little cart, like tiny Roger has <laughs> gotten even smaller. Where he shall remain in the cart. We just cart him around. He's that small. It's a little and, strange. Yeah. And now their mission is basically to lock the doors from the inside of the mall and clean the inside of the mall of zombies, which is it's a good plan. Like they've cut out, they've cut off the ability for zombies, new zombies to enter. And now they're going to lock themselves in and kill all the zombies on the inside. It's it's a good solid plan that none of them ever actually say out loud. <laughs> True, but they're doing it and they're, you know, it's like zombie housekeeping. We got to make it safe inside so we can wander around and eat some mall food. But yeah. And they've given Fran a gun, which is worth pointing out too. Uh, it is. She's also armed, but then they kind of leave her inside the department store where she has a couple of different like touching interactions with zombies. Yeah. The first one being where uh, there's a nun zombie with her part of her robe is stuck in the door. And Fran just like and she's trying to get she's trying to chase the three guys like but very like gently. Right. And Fran looks at her and just like lets her go. It doesn't try to kill the zombie, but just like frees her so that she can chase her friends. Well, and so what I was realizing at this moment is like, is, is it just that the religious zombies are attracted to Fran? The Hare Krishna, not the nun? But that nun wasn't even paying attention to Fran, even though no. she was right there. She was trying to get after the other dudes. Very touching, like, okay, all right, you know, just let that zombie go. You've got a gun. You can just crack that door open a little bit because there's no other zombies there to bother you and shoot it in the head. No, but she doesn't do that. And then she has the weird, uh, is it a baseball zombie? Yeah, the box Arco Pitcairn baseball zombie with the, with the mitt. Well, you see that those three words on the back of his jersey, it's very interesting. Apparently, it, it was just like the baseball, a local baseball team that was sponsored by a gas station. Pitcairn is a really weird name for a team, and it's the island that um, Mutiny on the Bounty crew members ended up on after they stole the bounty. Isn't that weird? Yeah, well, you know, not that weird. Okay, it's pretty weird to me uh, that that's like a good name for a baseball team. However, so this this zombie is another one of these like, he's just like, he kind of collapses in front of the door and is staring at Fran. And making creepy baby noises. Yeah, I I couldn't tell if those were coming from him or where, but he was just like staring at her and she's staring back and it was just like a weird zombie staring contest that where the zombie doesn't look like it wants to eat her at all. Yeah, and she's looking at it with a lot of pity while the men are out doing their... I don't even know what they're doing at this point. Well, they steal the car and they drive yeah. around. No, but I mean, that's, you know, they're just kind of driving around. It doesn't seem like they're do- accomplishing much by doing so, but okay. Well, they, they do lock all the doors. I mean, they do accomplish their job and then they kind of like... They, there's, a, there's an abrupt cut and then all the zombies inside the mall are dead. And it's a happy paradise. However... We've already been witness to a few recurring zombies that were inside the mall. Yes. Uh, at this point, there's the one who stole Roger's M16 early on in the mall escapades uh-huh. and is carrying it like barrel to its face. We yep. see that zombie like several times. So that zombie was inside the mall at some point. So is surprised looking old man in the sweater. Sweater zombie. He's yeah. quite famous. And nurse zombie. And these are the ones that you just kind of pick out. It's kind of funny just in the costuming of these zombies. It's sort of like, let's pick out some stereotypical things. So baseball mitt zombie. And you know what I mean? Like, it's actually very funny. Um, But these zombies were all in the mall. Right. And then all the zombies in the mall were killed. 
but these zombies re- reappear over and later. over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they come back later. They're all in the last scene. Um, it's very strange. Although baseball zombie and nun zombie, that's pretty much the only time they're in. It is. We don't, but we don't see them die, and we just see them kind of being mournful. My guess, and this is this is just my conjecture, but Romero is notorious for shooting way too much film. And then when he splices things together, there's some continuity error, errors. And that's my guess in this case. And yeah. he definitely had some, I mean, and just in terms of trying to make up a ton of zombies, my guess is that their budget was pretty shoestring for this whole movie. Um, it's probably huge compared to Night of the Living Dead, but yeah. Huge, but think about the space that you're trying to occupy in Night of the Living Dead. Tinier than a huge mall, and you're trying to fill it up with the undead, so... I think that that's probably why this happens. And ultimately, it's a pretty campy film. So it, people will probably forgive him for that. And if we remember origin- the original zombie from Night of the Living Dead, he also made like two or three appearances throughout he the, did. the movie. So maybe this is sort of an unofficial homage to having the OZ come right. back. So life is good for them in the mall. They're, they're having dinners. They're shopping. They're doing haircuts. Yeah, there's a lot of this uh, consumerism stuff going on, which is Robert Ebert's review of this film um, calls it a savagely merciless, satirical view of American consumer society. I'm not so sure that I see that. It's more just like, yeah, people stuck in a mall are going to go a little bit bananas and start wearing fur coats. Right, we learn that Roger basically has a maximum of three days to live, but then we have a giant montage of them living it up that seems like it could have taken way more than three days. But based on that number we were given, we know that he, he, he can't be alive for more than three days. So he's getting worse and worse. They're giving him a lot of morphine and stuff. And he has a touching moment with Peter where he's like, I'm going to try not to come back, but you have to take care of me if I do, which I thought was very right. nice. Right. And it's one of those things that we see show up in a lot of Uh, zombie shows and movies, what to do when a member of your group is infected. And generally, the thing is, is that people don't want to come back like that. And so it's the duty of the survivors to basically discharge them to an honorable, honorable, real death, not an undeath. And after the the whole locking down the, the mall and killing the zombies, Granted, he probably deserved a little bit of good times, and he did have some fun playing arcade games and wearing hats. <laughs> but they probably could have killed him a little earlier to save him some of the misery, don't right. you think? Because he was in a lot of pain. I mean, it's not yeah. like it's not like he was just living it up to the end and just croaks. This is like a very long and painful death um, by infection, apparently. And, you know, uh, Fran and Steven are quite comfortable leaving Peter to deal with it. Yeah, I would say, though, the, the, the zombie makeup for Roger is probably some of the best in the movie. It was amazing. I th- thought it was incredible. Like when and, you know, they do have the anticipation scene when, you know, Roger's dying and then is is I don't under, I kind of don't understand why Peter waits so long to discharge him. Was he waiting to see if Roger did indeed make good on his promise? I, you know, maybe it's worth a try at that point. He's like, hey, he told me he was going to try not to come back, so maybe he's just waking up from a nap. Right. But he, you know, you kind of see the zombie movement, and then when Roger Zombie is revealed, I was like, wow, that's good makeup. He is creepy looking. Um, and then, like, they got, as a group, they become depressed. Well, right, because, <laughs> you know, taking out a member of your group, it's going to be rough. 
And we have a big jump in time, actually, too, because we see a calendar shot and somebody's making X's through the number 23. And I don't know if that means like they've been there 23 days or now it's just the 23rd. And I don't know when they got there, but there's a jump in time. They've basically they've they've made a living room out of the uh, emergency supplies area that they were just kind of squatting in. Right. It's and it, <laughs> they've got a TV. They've got like weird plastic chairs that are really ugly. Those those see through ones. Yeah. <laughs> But Those it was are... fashionable at the time, Stuart. Oh, I mean, God, this is so the, ugly. This is the height of decoration and modern yeah. convenience. And they're having fondue, and uh, Fran and Stephen are having an argument about the TV because it's gone off, basically. Yeah, and we we do keep we we are treated up until this point anyway to a few different scenes of like the last vestiges of civilization which is t- these tv broadcasts with uh, a scientist with an eye patch <laughs> talking about either killing the zombies or feeding them which is the last one that they do right and he's and he's just he keeps repeating we have to we have to stay logical about this we have to remain logical well all while seeming totally illogical Insane. and he's off the rails and his fro just keeps getting bigger and bigger like his hair is just huge and we have some shooting practice, which is always good. Steven and Fran shooting mannequins in the ice rink because this mall has an ice rink. And I should point out that this is a pretty famous, uh, this mall, uh, this ice rink is used in different things. So um, it comes up a couple of times. So in the, uh, did you ever see the, is it something in Miri make a porn? Yeah. Uh, Zach and Miri make a porno. Yes. Um, so... They're referenced that they are on a team called the Monroeville Zombies, the ice hockey team. And then this this rink makes an appearance, and it's the same rink. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So um, so it's a pretty famous one. I've never actually been to a mall that has a hockey rink. But, you know, I, I think that there are other malls now that have many, many more things than that, like Mall of America has the roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, out in New Jersey, they're doing uh, what's called now the American Dream Mall. Um, it used to be called Xanadu, and that supposedly will have uh, a skiing slope as well as a Ferris wheel. I think this was the starting point for that kind of recreation within shopping centers. Yeah, I, I guess based on the two examples you just mentioned are, are like pinnacles of what Ebert I might refer to as like temples to consumerism. And maybe that's what we're supposed to be thinking about this place too, because it does have something as outlandish as, you know, a, an, a skating rink inside the mall. Right. Um, but yeah, so, but for our cast, they're just getting sad. And, and Fran has this one moment where she's like, what has happened to us? And, uh, right. Yeah. And you can kind of, you can kind of gauge the sadness by how much crazy makeup or experimentation with makeup Fran does. But something something happens to jolt them out of their depression. Which is uh, the... Oh, no, what, yeah, yeah, because she takes helicopter lessons. Right, so this and is... And she's suddenly so happy. And empowered, and this is amazing, because now there is possibility... I don't even know, like, I think it's, you know, she's gonna... She has the ability to, to fly away at some point. And this is a good thing, she masters it. In, like, what's... One lesson... Less than two minutes of, of movie time, she masters the helicopter. Well done. Right. But during during this happy moment for our intrepid group. Disaster. Disaster, which is that um, other survivors in the form of a motorcycle gang. Is that what it's supposed to be? Yeah. 
a motorcycle gang of 70s porno stash wielding. <laughs> uh, they, they observe the flying lesson and they apparently have been sort of staking out the mall because they, you know, they see that it's all like um, boarded up with the trucks and whatever, even though it wouldn't really be a problem for humans to get in. It's just more an impediment for the zombies who can't work certain things. Um, but, you know, they they are led by Tom Savini, who looks quite evil and is brushing his mustache in a, in a malicious way. With his flick comb. Uh, I, I got the impression it was the other guy who was leading them and that Savini was a, a, a lieutenant. Well, maybe, but either way, it seems they are led by mustachioed... Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Because <laughs> that always bodes e- ill for our group. Uh, so let's just talk about this group of people as quote-unquote survivors. So they're, they, they take on the, the nomadic zombie survival trope. I don't know if that's really a thing, but I guess I feel like we, we run into this sometimes. Some roving how, survivors, yeah. How with two vans and like 20 to 30 motorcycles – would you survive in a zombie apocalypse? Well, right. And how are they getting fuel for all this? How are they feeding all these people? They just well, how all... do they sleep? I mean, granted, there's a lot of them, and they could probably keep guard. But we, these these people look completely anarchistic, anarchic, yeah. anarchical. They they they're just all hooping and hollering and like, yeah, we're gonna kill everybody, woo! And it, it, you don't get don't... the impression that they have any discipline. Well, whatsoever. right. I I don't think that they. I, I mean, looking at this realistically, I don't think that they would have enough. Um, the structure within their group to survive this long with this many of them not turning zombie. Yeah. But Peter, Peter sees them and, and listen, hears them on the radio and he's like, this is a professional army that's been surviving on the road all through this thing. Uh, right. And that's the other thing. If they're so professional, how are they letting themselves be heard on the radio? Well, I think they were trying to contact them. Well, they were, but they, the but they thought that they could overhear. I don't know. Anyway, it was, it was very strange. It was a very weird interaction and, and, our our trio of survivors is getting a little nervous here. Yeah, so we've got well, the Peter and, and Roger are up on the roof looking at, and, and they realize that there's way more of them than they've been led to believe, and that they're coming. And so they decide to go and drop all the metal grates in front of the shops, right? Which would basically su- secure their um, their store. Stuff. Yeah, which they feel like they've earned, uh, but at the same time. Somehow they think that this is also going to let the banditos know that nobody's there, even though they've already seen them landing a helicopter on the roof. And been trying to talk to them over the radio. Um, so it, it's not a terrible plan. It's like, you know, just let them come and go. Maybe they won't come after us because why would they? There's, I don't see that they, have, they should have any vested interest in trying to find the survivor, uh, you know, Peter, Fran, and Steven. Right. Uh, so Fran stays upstairs. Because, you know, that's the role she's been relegated to in a, to an extent. And Stephen and Peter go downstairs to uh, lower the grates. And they do, they lower a bunch of them. But then suddenly the bandits get through. A, they, the one guy in the sombrero keeps shooting locks out with a Tommy gun. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they're just, I don't know. And, and, you know, they're letting zombies in. And their idea to fight the zombies, somehow they procure a lot of pies. Yeah, that's it, this is like supposed to be, I think, lighthearted and yet also contrasting these guys as survivors with our guys. Like our guys, do they treat the zombies with more respect? 
I guess, yes. yeah. And there's, these guys are mocking the zombies. You don't this, mock zombies. There's definitely this moment where you see Peter observing it where he's like, not our zombies, man. Not our zombies. Like, it's really funny because they're like, they're, they're like stealing the zombies' wallets and jewelry. Yeah. And it's just a very odd, this whole thing is strange. It doesn't um, make a lot of sense that these guys, yeah, they're, they're, they're like stealing knickknacks and gold and not going after food. Um, yeah. Like, why would they water. be, wa- not to say that they're going to eat pies, but why would you be wasting food? It's just crazy. Um, but it, I think it, I think you're right. It's supposed to show us the difference between our survivors who are just trying to get along and live quietly. And these guys who are just looters and evil and have no morals. Yeah. And, and both, of, although both of these groups have essentially done the same thing. The first guys were stealing uh, and shoplifting and going into the bank and taking out giant wads of cash so they could play poker with it. Well, just like Steven and Peter did, they stole cash too. That's so. what I mean. That's who I'm talking about. The, those guys also stole everything. And all these guys, they're just stealing stuff too, but they're not doing it in a sustainable way. <laughs> really, right. And they're, also, and they're also trashing the place. It's not like they want to stay at the mall. They just want to take their goods and run, it seems. Yeah, exactly. Scorched Earth approach. Uh, they're they're going to leave a disaster in their wake that our, our heroes potentially will either have to deal with or run away from. And then Hurricane Steven. <sighs> he, he, he just starts muttering to himself like, not our stuff or something along those lines. Not our zombies. No, he doesn't say that, but it's implied. Um, and Peter's just like, dude, just stay where you are. Don't do anything. Let them do their thing and they're going to leave. He's kind of like, calm down, Flyboy. Flyboy. But Flyboy can't calm down. So he starts shooting at them and these guys are way better at that. Because uh, not only can they loot a mall, they're also like killing zombies left and right and shooting at Steven and Peter. Um, including uh, your boy Savini, who's like, and they're like swinging back and forth on pennants, and it's it, it gets pretty chaotic here for a while. And Steven, Steven starts to fight. Peter tries to finish it, and he actually killed a lot of these guys. Yeah, Peter Peter is amazing. If you think about the, the odds, Peter does his fair share here. That's kind of his role in this film, is to be awesome at everything, including abortions, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and he made a meal. He, he cooked dinner for uh, Stephen and Fran during the, uh, you know, after Roger died. Yeah, during the lull. He's like, this is a meal for you. And they're like, oh, this is great. He's like, yeah, no problem. I can cook. Do whatever I, you want. Anything. I'm a jack of all trades. And a master of all of them, too, apparently. Not, not so a he, master of none. He's a master of all. So he's rolling around on the floor, shooting people, and they're kind of getting overrun by zombies here and there but for the most part still fighting off the zombies pretty well at some point there's like a shift i think because peter manages to kill enough of their ringleaders right that they start to the zombies get the upper hand right and that's when they start to uh to turn tail and they're like oh i guess this is not uh it wasn't as good of an idea as we thought so they escape with their uh, trinkets and knickknacks and leave behind well actually you know steven is trying to escape through the elevator yeah like on, oh the power goes out for some unknown reason in the yeah. mall too it doesn't uh, explain why just but. basically to set up the fact that steven is on top of the elevator instead of in it when some bandits show up and shoot him in the arm right and then uh after like the bandits have been chased away steven's trying to still climb back up on top of the elevator 
And that's not successful. Because a bunch of zombies come in and kind of eat him a lot. Yeah. Um, and Flyboy. Flyboy is no more. Um, and his zombie makeup, not so good. No. Uh, his little broken ankle walk, though, pretty good. Yeah, he does do a good broken ankle walk. But what, how did he break his ankle? I have no idea. Maybe they ate some of it. Um, so we, we know now, he... though. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go we, we, though, know now because he's out of the picture. Peter is trying to make his way back to Fran. Uh, and she's just like, let's get the fuck out of here. And he's like, no, we're going to wait and see if he makes it. She's like, no, dude, it's Steven. He's obviously dead. That's my lover. He's incompetent. Let's go. <laughs> Um, but this is the interesting thing, and I, I guess I forgot we forgot to mention that there was a false wall that they built. Oh, God, yeah. That was just like the, one of their better plans, actually. Right. The um, false wall is a great idea. It is. Not only, you know, to, to mask their presence, and it's a totally good idea, but here's where we have the, the Romero canon thing, which, which is that his, in his world, zombies have some vestige of memory, or habit left, which is why they're all coming to the mall, and they can hold things even though they don't know what to do with them. They kind of have this glimmer of humanity left, or I, I guess you would call it habit. I'm not sure um, of what they used to do. And in this case, because brought, um, Stephen was part of building the false wall and knows where it is, he immediately goes to try to get to them. So... Yeah, because they, they basically had built this wall to obscure the corridor that leads to their stairwell. And right. instead, we're taking the uh, air conditioning vents and a, a, a rope ladder to right. get back and forth. Um, so barring access to the rope ladder, there was no way if you didn't know that corridor was there. But Stephen knows, even in his undeath. And I it's just I, another I example. Of like, they, I don't know why they wouldn't have fortified this a bit more because it's just kind of like canvas. But yeah. still, I thought it was a smart idea, and apparently Stephen knows, and he's like, I'm going to get my woman, um, and leads the, the charge of the zombie horde up to their hiding place. Yeah, and it's like the ultimate nail in the coffin of Stephen being a fucking Tool. waste of space for this group. <laughs> it's like, not only did he basically betray them with his ineptitude in life, but even as a zombie. Yeah. Not not that he's being inept now. Now he's actually being like a pretty f- capable zombie. True. But uh, he's betraying his former self. Right. So, and it, it is, it's an interesting though, because it's sort of like, but in this case, I'm like, Peter, why are you guys hanging out? He's like, yeah, they're coming up. It takes them kind of a long time to come up. And wouldn't you have figured out ways to secure that door at this point? I know. That's a good point. Like that's their final hole up. They're, they're a safe space. They haven't, they've never put a lock on that door. And they, there's an Ace Hardware there, you know? There's so it, many ways they could have done this. And it's sort of like, really? And, and then he doesn't even, like, close the door. He kind of leaves it a little open. So Steven Zombie comes in. And, you know, it's kind of interesting here because Francine's just like, oh, there he is. Steven is a zombie. Yeah. And Peter just takes him out, but it's kind of too late because all the hordes are coming upstairs. It is a little anticlimactic that they, or, or at the same time, it's it's like respectable. They just take him out. They don't have one of these like, oh, my sister Amy is waking up as a zombie and I want to greet her. They just they just shoot him and it's it's done. But then we get to the point where you know Francine's like, now can we leave? And Peter's like, I'm not leaving this mall. 
I didn't understand that at all. Like, I didn't either. He was either. never this fatalistic dude uh, throughout this film. No, all he's, of a sudden, he's always pretty practical, and suddenly he just wants to go in, and I guess his thought is that he's just going to take himself out, but I don't know. It's really strange. So Francine's like, all right, dude, and she just takes off up the ladder as she should, and uh, she's pretty slow doing this. Maybe she's hoping that he'll follow eventually, but, you know, leaves him, and he just kind of goes into this back room, and meditates on his gun <laughs> with a gun to his head uh yeah so this scene doesn't also like this doesn't make a whole lot of sense it's basically just to build dramatic tension i assume because they could have like you said as soon as they hear steven break through the false wall they could have just gotten the helicopter and left right um but and instead I- they waited out and then peter has a conflict of willingness to live which he overcomes as soon as zombies break into his little room he takes his saturday night special and busts a cap or two, and then fights his way up to the roof, where a lot of zombies have climbed the ladder, which is crazy, but Romero. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. I don't think they could have gotten up there. I think they would have knocked that ladder out, but okay. Because not not only was it like a painter's ladder, like an A-frame, then there was also a vertical uh, like side of the roof ladder. That Those are difficult to climb... Fairly difficult to climb, even when you have motor skills. Right, and then you—you you mean you? And when you, whenever you see them coming out of this, like, uh, out of this area in the roof, it's like a struggle. Like you have to swing your leg over. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like an easy thing to negotiate, even for Fran. And you watch her do it, and then it's like suddenly there's like ten zombies on the roof because they—it's so easy. And among those zombies were uh, M16 zombie. Yes. Or no, it was M16 Zombie downstairs. I think he was. But yeah, Peter Peter basically does like a gun swap with yeah. M16 Zombie, which was funny. He's like, here, take this single shot rifle. And I'll I will take, take this. The, <laughs> I will take the, the assault rifle from you. And M16 Zombie looks at the, his new gun and he's like, oh, yes, this is, this is wonderful. This is excellent. Um, and uh, we see and Sweater Zombie. Surprise looking old man Sweater Zombie is also on the roof. Nurse Zombie was in there at some point. Yep. Uh, but so Peter emerges onto the roof. Fran has already taken off, but she's still looking down because she's an expert pilot and can just like look around hover. while she flies and hover. And, and Peter comes up on the roof and A-Team music begins. Or actually, it started as soon as he decided not to kill himself. Right. Like the, um, the, the powerful hero surge. Yeah. And he starts, starts doing all these judo moves and kicking and, and karate chopping zombies Yes, uh, suddenly he's a judo master. And I'm like, where did this come from? Well, it is Peter, and he is... I'm just going to start calling him Sensei. You should never be surprised by his uh, inexhaustible list of things he's great at. So <laughs> he, he jumps on the helicopter, and it's like, okay, yeah, they're saved. It's great. Let's, uh, so what's going to happen now? And um, <laughs> they, they start to fly away, and he says, how much fuel do we have? And she says, not, not much. much. <laughs> and then they just and he, go. And he's like, all right. Let's and it's do very it. optimistic. I so know. he went from suicidal in a pretty much like lose-lose situation to very optimistic and life-affirming and still a pretty grim, <laughs> dire situation. Right. Um, but I should point out that this was this particular ending was not um, what Romero initially envisioned. Um uh, like the the original ending that he had in his head was that Peter shoots himself in that little room, and uh, Francine is not as skilled at helicoptering um, as 
we are led to believe, and gets taken out by the helicopter blades. Like, her head gets chopped off. No kidding. Um, and so some of the effects that they were going to use for that, they actually kind of filmed it. We see in the beginning, there's like a, a big African-American zombie that gets taken out um, in one of the first scenes. And then, you know, they they imply that this is going to happen. They're kind of showing it when that zombie gets taken out at the rest station by the helicopter blades. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I think that that was his initial thought. And then... He's like, yeah, let's let's give them a little bit of optimism, even though they'll probably eventually die. <laughs> so we'll give them a little flu- fuel, and we can hope that they survive. I feel like for his for his uh, franchise to work, you have to leave some people alive at the end of every movie, right? So in this case, you know, he he, he went for the optimism. I think that he left enough darkness there that everybody will be happy, but um, you know. We're, you know, they they fly away and then there's the whole, like, the music's still going in the mall and the zombies are still walking around. Yeah. It, overall, it's a it's a kind of unsettling movie, but it, it's so filled with, like, these light moments of, uh, like, upbeat music and scenes of zombies on escalators. Right. That by the time it's over, you're not really left with this, like, oh, the world's over kind of thing. It's more of a, oh, zombies are these wacky characters, you know? Right, right. Just, you just got to get used to them. They'll, they'll be part of your everyday life. It's okay. Um, but, yeah, it it was definitely not as um, fear-inducing as I remember. And then the effects, you know, I guess it, part of this is colored by uh, the mind of a kid who hadn't watched too many horror films and couldn't appreciate some of the cheesiness of it. Although, at mm-hmm. the time, I think they thought their effects were amazing. But, you know, some of the intestinal, like, eating that looked like little tiny um, frankfurters. And things like that. Uh, watching it now, I was just like, "Oh my gosh, really? This is this was the cutting edge." Um, so by by today's standard, not as terrifying. But I think that that some of that was intentional, though. Don't you agree? Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, it, it felt very, very uh, methodical, and, and it's like it, it, the actually, I guess, just the tempo of the film is is quite successful in uh, taking you from these like. Like their 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 montage of cleaning up zombie bodies from the mall is set to a a, a march. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's like ridiculously upbeat and not at all horror related. It's uh, and then and then Gonk, as I mentioned, is like the basically the theme. It's so, it's so upbeat. It's ridiculous. And this has you know thematically, it's dealing with the same subject matter as Night of the Living Dead to an extent, but in so lighthearted a way that is also interwe- interwoven with like this heartbreaking loss and uh, in Steven's case, joy when he f- eventually dies. <laughs> Only yeah, for myself. I, no, I was, I was joyful as well. I was like, finally, finally. Um, I guess there always has to be a character you hate though in these films. Um, but yeah, so is there anything else that you feel like we haven't talked about? No, I think, I think that's about it. And we've covered sort of the things that I was thinking of. Um, in in terms of a Romero, a Romero film, I think it's interesting to note just some of the differences between, and we've talked about them, um, but the difference between this and Night of the Living Dead, it's def- he's definitely evolved a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of how people are, although some of the same themes do remain um, in terms of racism and um, rednecks. <laughs> but um, I think that it's a very interesting 
viewpoint of just what would happen and his views on society overall. Yeah. He doesn't seem to have very good views on consumerism and society generally, though. Um, one interesting thing, though, that is never really addressed, because, you know, Francine's definitely pregnant and showing at this point at the end mm-hmm. of the film, but that's yeah. pretty much it. We we never get there with with this particular film. They don't address that issue. No, I think this whole this whole film takes place basically in one or two months time, right. I think. And so, yeah, we don't even we don't even get to that point. But um, in Dawn of the Dead 2004, we actually have a birth yes. in the mall. Yes, so it's almost like, okay, we know we didn't address this. We're going to give you guys this now. Yeah, but we're we're going to get to that one. Another time. Soonish. Yeah, so. Because next time, what we're actually going to be reviewing is based on a uh, a message, you know, an email that we got a few uh, weeks, if not months ago at this point, uh, based on a podcast called We're Alive. Right, so we're going to take a listen and we're going to chat about that next week. And I'm really looking forward to it. it. It was a good recommendation. So thank you again for, for sending that in. And as always, if you have any questions or comments or things that you would like to hear us review, you can shoot us an email at reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com. And I think that that's about it. Anything else, Stuart? Uh, no. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Reanimated. And uh, we'll be back again in about a week when we can can work it out. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, um, until then, peace out. Stay alive. There you have it, everybody. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, One more of these kind of archived episodes of the show when we talked about Dawn of the Dead from 1978. And what a time it was. Uh, so come on back next time. We should have some fresh content for you. And uh, thanks for listening. Hope you're doing well out there in the world. And uh, we'll talk soon. Bye.